You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 13th, episode 3364. Good morning, horse world. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, and completing the challenge is the challenge, you're an endurance rider. That's right. It is Endurance Day, the second Tuesday of every month. Can't believe we're in the second month of this year already. But Karen is back, and we're going to talk about endurance as we have for the past... Nine, ten, ten years? Ten years. Ten years. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. You've made it longer than 99.99% of oh, all podcasters. <laughs> so <laughs> Good. <laughs> You're still here after all. And I remember when we talked about doing this in the first place, it was like, ah, we'll do it for a year and see what happens. Yeah. And then yeah. we just both forgot to quit. So here I we know. are. Ten yes, years later. <laughs> There's so many things to talk about. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, endurance keeps changing, too, over the years. It's, you know, like any other mm-hmm. sport, it, it uh, the people in it change and the rules change. And, you know, it's just uh, a constant uh, thing. I certainly internationally has changed a lot mm-hmm. uh, over the years. But anyway, um, we are going to be talking about what today? Today, we're going to be talking to Susan, Dr. Susan Garlinghouse, about uh, equine arthritis and how to work towards preventing it and I imagine how that's to handle something it. you really have to uh, worry about in endurance, don't you? It is. And there's a lot of management involved that you can, you know, um, use to hopefully prevent the arthritis in the first place. And so she's a really good um, person to talk to on that topic. And so we'll be talking with her and we're going to be talking about my tip about hopefully getting yourself unstuck. If you get stuck in mud or sand when you're going to an event, well, that's never happened to any of us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we all have stories about that. Maybe we'll, t- we'll tell some of them today. Uh, also, uh, you've uh, you've been having some weather like the rest of the country. Everybody's getting hammered this year. Uh, so, would you have started events already, or um, I had two different ones I wanted to go to that both got canceled because of the weather. Mm. So that that's kind of a bummer. You know, you hate to start the year out. Um, well, and let's remind new listeners: to- Karen's on the West Coast, so uh, you guys not only have been getting snow, but you would normally be going to California, and they've been just getting pounded with rain. So. Right. Yeah. Rain. And now Southern California has been having earthquakes. I saw that. They're uh-huh. just little ones, though. They're used to that. I don't. I think one was over a five, though. Five oh, really? and a half yeah. or something. Uh-huh. I have a funny yeah. story about that. So we had a bunch of uh, California people on our horse lovers cruise. And the one day it got kind of bumpy. And it was a big ship. So it, it, relatively speaking, it was kind of bumpy. Mm-hmm. But there would be occasion where they'd hit a wave, and you'd you'd feel the ship, even that size, shudder a little bit. And uh-huh. the California people said the first couple times that happened, we were just on alert because you think earthquake. They think earthquake right away. You know, <laughs> <Sure>. so, <laughs> so they're so conditioned to feel it and think earthquake that they were even doing that on the ship. It's like nope, yeah, different yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. different kind of shudder. Right. You kind of pause and wait to see if yes. it's going to continue or yes. not. <laughs> Do you get them where you are? Oh, yes. Well, I'm in the Sierras. That's how the mountains oh, were that's formed. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Exactly. So, so have you been able to ride at all and train? Um, I have been. I've been doing a lot of training, still doing a lot of groundwork with the new horses. And um, the one new horse, he had an issue with the trailer loading before I got him. His breeder didn't realize that he put him in the trailer with some with a hornet's nest. And oh. that's, <laughs> oh, that's <I'm>, fun. <laughs> well, yeah. And so now I'm kind of working with 
dealing with that anxiety. You know, I've tried some of the calming supplements and just working on our trust and his comfort level, um, getting him close to the trailer. Or I have put him in it a few times. He goes in it, but he gets real anxious if you close it it in. So if anybody out there listening has any suggestions for me, I'm all ears. (laughs) I don't know how you overcome the hornet's nest in the trailer. That's a tough one. I think he probably just didn't use it very often. Like it was, you know, his old stock trailer and he knew he was going to be selling the horse. And so he was putting him in and trailering him for short periods of time to get him used to it. Was the horse in there? I mean, did he notice the hornet's nest or was the horse in there just getting stung the whole time he was driving around? I I don't really know. Uh, He didn't really elaborate. I wouldn't be able to overcome that. I'd never get in the horse trailer again. (laughs) I know. I I can't blame the poor little guy. I feel so bad for him, you know, because He'll go in and stand there and he's fine with me. But if you try to close the divider or the back door, oh. he get that's when he starts oh, that tells to panic. me he was stuck in there with the bees. He, he, I think so. Yeah. I oh, my know, God. It's so good I... you're not in the sport where you have to drive and trailer a lot. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> well, at least the other horses both are self-loading themselves now. So I'm happy there. They're both. <laughs> doing great will he go in is he better if there's another horse in there or is it the same problem um yeah it's i think it's going to be the same problem Hmm. so we'll we'll see well Well, i don't know how you overcome that i think i'd have have trouble mentally overcoming that one so i know it's just taking time i think it is just but he's great with everything else i have been writing him and um He's been just wonderful under saddle and and he's learning all sorts of stuff. So everything's coming along really good. It's just that, you know, we did hit a little snag there with that anxiety issue once he's closed inside. Okay. So So I have to ask you a question now for, for new listeners, Karen, Karen competed a couple of campaigners for a long time that were Mm -hmm. really high mile horses and were well-trained and, you know, you knew each other, you were partners. And then for the, then you had to start over really uh, with these new horses you Uh got and you campaigned those for what, 10 years. Um, Chief did, I think 17 seasons of endurance and I rode them all together about 20 years. And then the other horse wasn't quite that long. Um, I'm not entirely sure, probably 12 or 13 years. And and yeah, Chief had almost 16,000 miles and Bo was over 10,000. So you went from that, really having a steady Eddie horse, you <laughs> knew you could get on for all those years. And then you're uh-huh. older now, right? So right. You know, you're that mm-hmm. much older and now you're getting new horses in. Were you dreading having to start over? Were you looking forward to it? And how has how have you been mentally starting over with horses? Good when, question. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of everything, you know, at first it was tough realizing, you know, you, you got to start over at some point if you're going to stay with it. And it's so that was hard thing to think about after you had all those years of steady eddies. It is. Yeah. And I hadn't really started a young horse for, you know, 20 years. So right. <laughs> uh, you forget all the stuff that you learned and that they have to learn. It's just you like know, getting a puppy. You forget how how all that first year or two is kind of a nightmare. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, there's so much to teach him. Just simple stuff like you know the two I just bought more recently. They came. They were just barely you know halter broke. They did actually. Stain had a little bit more training on him, but I had to teach them all how to lead, how to go through gates. Um, how to tie, how to pick up their feet, lots, just lots of stuff that um, you, you know, when you do it with the other horse for 20 years. You just take um, it for granted. It's just, the horse just, does it. It's, and... <laughs> it was so easy. Yeah. Both of those horses would self-load. You just had to get out of their way. <laughs> you know, they were potty they were trained. So, you didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> pretty much. Yes. And so, so yeah, now, you know, what the, one of the big things to learn when you're starting over with the new ones, especially youngsters, is that they don't yet understand necessarily the whole, this is my space and this is your space and you got to stay out of my space. And 
the dominant horse can't chase the younger horses um, because when they go to get away, they will run you over. So um, I quickly figured out like the first day, okay, I'm going to have to really watch where I put my feet and where they put their feet. And so far I have managed to not get stepped on or run into, but we did have to spend some time working on training and um, you know, stopping the dominant horse because he kept wanting to chase the other two away. When you have an extra layer of training too in endurance that, you know, you, you have at horse shows, but not so much as they do in endurance because you're spending a weekend out there camping usually and, and you mm-hmm. know, camping usually with a lot, not a lot of amenities. And you have to teach your horses to be tied, you know, to be corralled in a small space or tied to the tie line or whatever. And uh-huh. they have to learn to be patient for hours on end. And that's not a quality that a lot of horses have right away. Exactly. They need to learn that. And they've also got to learn about being separated from other horses and and being comfortable on their trailer with eating and drinking. And that's why we put a lot of effort ahead of time into practicing those kinds of things. You know, we think about the riding all the time, but it's all these little things, as all, all everybody here listening knows, it's the little things that take the most time. Exactly. You know, I... Early on, I knew winter was coming when I after I got these. And so I spent some time. I've been doing the clicker training with them and uh, just getting them used to putting blankets on them. And it, it, I'll tell you what, that clicker training and the positive reinforcement is wonderful because within a day, I, I could just go throw blankets on either of the horses. And They've decided after we were getting down into like minus temperatures that they really like their blankets. Yeah, all of a sudden you like those. Because <laughs> it was it was just not only was it below freezing, like well below freezing, but we had high, high winds. Well, speaking of weather, let's go into uh-huh. your endurance tip and talk about that because that directly involves weather. It does. Okay, so one of the things I was thinking about that happens to a lot of us over the years on rides is we go into a ride camp and camp is beautiful and everybody parks and we do the ride. And then sometime during the ride, a big storm comes in, soaks the place. And now when it's time to leave, people are starting to get stuck. So, and that has happened quite a few times, more times than I can count on all my fingers and toes, I'll tell you. And sometimes we're lucky and there's somebody that has a tractor and they come and help the rigs out. And then other times we don't always have that kind of help or, you know, some of the right camps, we don't even always have cell service at to call for help. So you have to learn how to get a little bit more prepared going in. And so my advice for people when you're camping a lot, um, or even if you live on a farm where you've got a dirt road where it can get muddy or you have a lot of sand, um, one of the ways you can get prepared is to get yourself a toe strap or a snatch strap or some traction mats. In the old days, it used to be chains, right? Uh huh. Yep. And they've also got um, traction devices that you can strap onto the wheels of your vehicle as well. And there's a lot of different things you can do. Like if you're in a pinch and, you know, you're just spinning your wheels, but you're not really, really stuck. You know, you can if you don't have traction mats, you can use the mats that are in your vehicle. Um, You know, you can get creative. um, You know, find leaves or sticks or Whatever might be around you, like I said, the um, the mats that you have in your vehicle, you could carry pieces of rug, in, you know, with you or some cat litter, which is often used like if you're in a climate where there's snow, that'll help you get a little bit of traction as well. And um, and a shovel. And a shovel. Yes, a yeah. shovel is good. You know, if you have four-wheel drive, put it into four-wheel drive. And then just be gentle when you press on the gas once you get um, your traction stuff underneath the tires so you don't send it flying and 
um, cause some damage. We, you know, we got, we've gotten stuck at horse shows. And even with the four wheel drive, uh, we got stuck because the trailer had so much weight too. Uh-huh. So we've gotten stuck. And usually those horse shows have something to pull you out. They have a large tractor and they're just pulling mm-hmm. one after another out. Um, and I always feel bad for them because their field is just trashed when it's done. I mean, it's just <laughs> right, <rusted>. right. It's <laughs> just trashed. But the, the one show we used to go to had a monster truck with the great big tires. And that's what they used to pull trucks. That had no problem. That could pull you out very quickly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We used yeah. to get our tractor yeah, stuck I, occasionally. Our big tractor would get stuck in the mud. And that one, that one took a, 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 you have to get a larger tractor because that's all the okay. only way you're getting it out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I've seen that happen at endurance rides too, where you need a second or a third vehicle to pull the first ones out. Yeah. That stuck. <laughs> I mean, so it that is a mess. <laughs> You know, and and then um, before we went on the last long XP where we rode all the way across the Pony Express Trail, uh, friends of mine that ran a tow truck service told me to get the traction mats and to get a snatch strap. And the snatch strap are a little different from a towing strap because they are meant to stretch. So it stretches and stores kinetic energy so when the vehicle starts to move that energy is released and then that helps you gain traction and get moving again I, and when I, you get- and, and i agree with you i think theirs are better just because you don't usually have the snap and the the throwback like the old chains used to if the chain snapped you were in trouble because it, it was flying oh. back hitting the truck or hitting something yeah, yeah. you don't want that to happen yeah. and uh the recommendations for the braking strength on one of those should be between two and three times the gross vehicle mass of the lightest vehicle being used. Okay. So the one I got was rated for like 80,000 pounds, which is about three times the weight of my uh, three horse living quarter and truck. And have you used it? Oh, several times. <laughs> I've used it and several other people have used it. The traction mats have been used quite a bit. Absolutely. And it's like I said, there were times where we either couldn't call for help or there wasn't any. And, you know, you need to be able to kind of figure stuff out. And so having those tools um, with you or, you know, by planning ahead and getting and having them when you travel can really be a lifesaver. And I did want to mention for those listening that Karen's sound is not perfect today. She, they were having weather up there in Nevada, and I think her internet's just a, a little, a little goofy. You said you've lost power quite a bit, quite a bit too. We have, yeah. You're Sorry just, about that. Yeah, you're just breaking up a little bit, but it's not bad. Um, so get yourself a snatch strap. They're, they're usually, I think we paid seventy bucks for hours. Right, something, something like around that. there. Yeah. Right. Uh, and some traction mats. Yep, and uh, make sure you can get out. And I'm sure a lot of the people in the Northeast today, uh, as we're recording this, got a big snowstorm last night. So <laughs> they're, they're going to be using it for other purposes other than Yes, my... we have storms coming as well, more yeah. of them. Uh, California snatch straps not even going to help you. You're just going to float away. Uh, <laughs> but one good thing about California is we shouldn't hear about a drought this year. All the reservoirs should be full. Right. So, yeah, shouldn't have that problem. Uh, one thing or another in California, <clears throat> everybody picks on Florida because we get hurricanes. California has uh, either is drenched with half the states, you know, sliding into the ocean. They're so dry that every, everything's dying from uh, dry rot or they have earthquakes and it's all going to fall back into the ocean. So I think California has it worse than we do. That's my that's my official opinion. All right, let's call Kristen at Distance Depot. What are we talking about with her today? We're going to be talking about cinches and toe clat products. Good morning, Kristen. Thanks for joining us. Tell us what you want to talk about today. Good morning. Well, um, I don't think we've talked about girths for a while, so I thought I'd let you know or let your listeners know what we offer. We have a pretty wide variety of girths. Um, I would say our most popular girths are the Montana Cincha mohair girths that we offer. They come in five different styles. So pretty much every style to accommodate everyone's saddle, hopefully. Um, We have an endurance model and the whip stitch roper. 
Uh, the Webster Trooper is Montana Cinch's, you know, probably best-selling girth. It has western buckles, 26 strands of mohair, and it's wider in the center, so in between your horse's legs um, for more comfort and weight distribution um, for the mm-hmm. horse. And um, we had had them redesign that a little bit with our English buckles so that it will work with most of our endurance saddles that have the English billets. So we offer those two girths, of course, a straight English girth and a straight Western girth. Um, We use stainless steel roller buckles on all of our girths. So that's a helpful thing when you're girthing up. And we also have neoprene backers to protect the horse's side from these buckles and an exclusive Velcro strap, which keeps that neoprene from flipping over um, and Mm -hmm. letting that buckle touch the horse's side. So it's all about your horse's <laughs> exactly. I, I've, had, <laughs> I've had some of the best luck ever with um the um mohair girths. They they're, yes. they're just wonderful. And these last forever and ever and ever. They do. You have to hand wash are, them. You, you mm-hmm. can't throw them in the washing machine because of course it's a natural fiber, but and they don't stretch. People think mohair has like this stretch to it. It's a natural fiber and it does have some give, but it shouldn't be stretching. Um, but it's right. super comfortable, and mohair is known for not galling. So if you have any galling issues whatsoever, this is the girth to go to. Try a, try a mohair, exactly. Yes. And your prices are very reasonable on them. Yes, and, and it comes with free shipping as well. So if that's all you need that day, um, you know, you throw a girth in your cart and free shipping is always nice. <laughs> so we do offer toe clat. Um, they're wool back and cool back girths as well, both in the English and Western styles too. And, and those are, you know, the wool back pads and the wool and cool back um, pads. These are the same materials in their girth. Um, they're awesome. You can throw them in because we know how dirty our girths get. You can throw them in the wash, super fast drying. So, um, you know, even in between your holds, they're busy drying. They're just super, super products. So you can find those on our website. Okay, and and I see you also have several accessories, uh, like we do. Uh, yep, tell us so about we, those. Okay, we do have some. We have um, because we make our sheepskin products in store. We offer the sh- sheepskin cinturing protectors. So if you happen to have a girth at home that doesn't have any protection against the horse's side, this is a nice alternative. Keeps the horse comfy and prevents that buckle from digging into his side. Thin line also and Cashel also offer a, a ring uh, centering protector, and those are both in neoprene, and you can find those on the website as well. We have billets, girth extenders, um, lots of <laughs> lots of different things, um, how to go, um, and just um, lots of different options there. Okay, and how would somebody get in touch with you? Well, they could call us toll-free, 866-863-2349, or visit us at thedistancedepot.com. Especially with performance horses, flies can really be a nuisance. Fly predators are a great investment of all the different poisons and insecticides and different things you could use. I don't know of anything that is more economical and more effective than spalding fly predators. Our guest this morning is Dr. Susan Garlinghouse. She is an equine vet and an endurance rider, and she's joining us this morning to discuss arthritis in our equines. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Garlinghouse. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, so let's start with um, just the basics of what can we do with our horses to try and extend their longevity and prevent them from getting arthritis? Well, uh, this is actually, uh, today's going to be a little bit of a preview. I'm, I'm actually going to be teaching this as a, a full seminar next week at the AERC convention in New Mexico. But, um, and even that kind of sprang from a, a series of articles that I just finished writing. Um, I think kind of the basic concept that I'm focusing on is that it is a mistake and that you're losing a, a window of opportunity. If when you're managing arthritis in a horse, you don't do anything until that horse is already testing positive to flexion testing or uh, you're doing, oh, that doesn't look right. You know, he's, he's not moving quite right. Let's take some radiographs of his hocks. And it turns out he's already got some arthritis. 
boy, you you really, uh, it, it's kind of a day late and a dollar short. At this point, all you can really do is try and slow down the progression and you can give them anti-inflammatories to make them comfortable. But of course, in endurance, you can't give them anti-inflammatories or any of those drugs during competition itself. So mm-hmm. if you're waiting until you actually have a clinical uh, diagnosis of arthritis, very often your horse's career is is kind of on the, the downward slide. So what I wanted to talk about is that there are a lot of things that you can do, starting even with uh, very, very young horses, long before you we normally traditionally start thinking about uh, di- um, arthritis, to prevent it from developing in the first place. And there's a lot of little things. And I know that right now, Karen, you're starting a whole new crew of, of some young uh, yes. And you're Mm -hmm. teaching your job, but you're not going out and necessarily doing tons and tons and tons of miles and putting a lot of pounding on those those joints before they're really mature. But there's so many things that you can be doing right now that will benefit that horses, not only in their brain and in their overall balance, but also in minimizing or preventing arthritis as those horses mature and go on through their career. And of course, you also know you've had horses that, uh, you know, have gone into five-figure careers several times now. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that is definitely something that it's well worth it to invest a little more time and effort when the horse is young than waiting until it's, you know, day late and a dollar short. Right. Right. Yeah. Like my four year old, I've sat on him once for like 30 seconds. I'm in no hurry. Sure. But you've been posting about mm-hmm. all kinds of other skills that you're teaching him and practicing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of things, just like trailering so that he's not, you know, playing BB in a boxcar when you do have to start taking them to a real ride. He's going to be right, relaxed. Right. Um, you know, teaching him all of those those skills. And those kind of things are really important. Um, especially when you do start backing these young horses. And it's really, really important that uh, I, I always found it humorous that in endurance, very often we talk about, you know, you're sitting on a horse's back for 30 seconds and we still think of these horses as babies. Whereas in other mm-hmm. sport, a four-year-old horse is considered almost elderly. Um, right, and, right. And unfortunately, in, in some disciplines, they are, you know, th- those horses are pretty much done by the time they're four or five, six years old. And very often that's going to be because those horses were asked to perform before that skeleton is mature. Now, the horse skeleton uh, matures from the bottom up. Some of those uh, growth plates, those are actually closed by the time the foal is born. But it takes up to about seven, uh, even starting to approach eight years old before that Mm -hmm. skeleton is fully mature. And the last thing to mature is the the dorsal spines, the little parts that poke up of the, uh, the vertebrae. So, again, you're starting from the bottom and you're working your way up. And a lot of people will go, okay, yeah, his knees are closed. You can go ahead and start doing anything you want to with him. But that's not really true. You know, you've got some bones mm-hmm. that are closed, but lots and lots and lots of others that if you start putting a lot of concussion on those joints before it's mature, you're going to be getting a lot of inflammation. And inflammation in the joint is what uh, is the, the initial precursor of what eventually is going to lead to arthritis. So one of the very first things that we can do is just don't start these horses too early. Um, Now, in endurance, we don't allow horses to do even a limited distance ride until they're at least four years old. We don't let them do a 50 until they're five, and we don't let them do 100s until they're six. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a complete green light that, okay, you know, today's his fourth Let's go out, and I want to go win an LD. He still has a baby skeleton. And he mm-hmm. will for yet. So there is a um, 
you know, everybody has to ride their own ride and everybody has their own goals of what they want to do with their horse. But if your goal is to, like you, have horses that, um, holy cow, you and I have known each other for what, probably coming up on 30 years now? Um, I think so. Uh Since the early 90s. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Oh, gosh, Um, I know. Where did that time go? (laughs) I'm feeling old now. How about you? Uh (laughs) And, you know, I remember when you were still riding Dreamweaver, and uh-huh. and oh, holy cow! What was um, what was your other gray horse? I'm I'm having a brain Rocky, fart. Today. Rocky, 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 yeah, uh, Rocky, and then yeah. you moved on to, to Chief and Bo and all of these other horses, uh-huh. and now you're on the next generation. But um, you know, the, those horses, you all had long, long careers because you were not going out and asking them to do too much too early, and that's mm-hmm. going to be the key thing that don't. Don't take babies and ask them to do things that their frame cannot do yet. Now, the other thing you can do when they are still relatively young is that you can spend a lot of time and effort in schooling and training to teach them to travel in a very balanced frame. If you have, and we've all seen it, we've gone to all kinds of different equestrian events where you see horses that their head is up in the air and their back is hollowed out and the legs are going in all four directions in no particular order. Uh, that puts a lot of strain and concussion on the joints. Right. So, and, and the same thing happens that, you know, to some extent, you know, you have a horse that is not experienced yet. If you take them to an endurance ride and you're at the start and they're all excited and they see all of these other horses taking off, they're going to want to go too. But if you really work on, no, 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 we're going to start after the rest of the pack, we're going to walk, we're going to take it easy, and then we're going to work into just a nice little working trot, then there's lots of things that teaching them to be a professional about approaching this and not getting race brain yourself as a rider and not letting the horse get race brain. Don't rely on running up on the horse in front of you to use somebody else as a brake. You know, right. don't let them go because there's no worth, you know, it's not worth it getting into a fight. Um, you know, it, it seems like, okay, that's just one day and he'll get better. But you were really writing checks that you're going to have, your horse is going to have to cash 10 or 15 years down the road. Because it put, again, it is putting so much more concussion on that frame than it would if right off the bat, you were doing your best to keep that horse in a nice, balanced frame. You know, raising his top line, you know, and finding a certain tempo. So that's one of the things that we can talk about. And then certainly, uh, you know, using a a very measured approach to actually doing your rides, uh, doing things like you know, teaching your horse that when you're going downhill, make sure that you're not pounding heavy on the forehand. Um, you know, if if you're some breeds are better at it than others. I'm really lucky that I I have uh, my horse, my uh, Tennessee walker, John Henry, and a lot of gated horses are really good at going downhill because they're gated. But if if you have a trotting breed like Arabians that are not necessarily quite as weird about the way they move, then you're better off getting off and leading your horse downhills to save that pounding. Right. I remember like the first season or two with Chief and Bo, especially, I did get off on a lot of the downhills and did it on foot. And I really babied them along. And I think that's, you know, why they lasted as long as they did. Plus, they were seven and eight when they started the sport. Right, right, exactly. And that, that really does make a, a, a big difference. There's other things you can do is that uh, things like making sure that you have tack that fits them really well so that they're not compensating their body to deal with uh, a saddle that's rubbing and poking them in the wrong place and they're getting sore. So they start kind of moving in a different way. And a lot of that is also going to go towards you have to have a rider on your horse that is not just cargo. They have to be a partner. And so the rider has to be balanced. The rider has to be fit enough to, to be really helping that, that horse. Don't be pounding along. We Both of us have, have talked over the years about that you can have a heavier rider, but they ride light. And they're mm-hmm. going to put less stress on that horse 
than a much lighter rider, one that weighs maybe 50 or 75 pounds less. But if they're up there banging around like a sack of potatoes, they're going to do more harm to that horse than Mm -hmm. is heavier rider that is riding more with more education and more thoughtfulness. Exactly. One thing I, I have noticed over the years is how many endurance riders don't know the difference between their diagonals and their leads, and they are not using them equally on the horse. Yes, yes, absolutely. And one of the things that, uh, you know, to some extent, endurance riders, that we're kind of an independent bunch, and we sort of pride ourselves that we are not show riders, we're not dressage riders, things like that. But, you know, some of the very, very top riders in our sport do go out, and even when they are, they've won pretty much everything on the planet, they are still taking riding lessons from Mm -hmm. either a Rider, uh, a centered riding coach, or from dressage rider uh, uh, trainers, things like that. Somebody that really looks at them and knows what our goals are. That we're not trying to teach our horses to do passage or pee offs, but we're trying to teach our horse and the rider to go down the trail as efficiently as possible. And, and so that's, you know, we can have a lot of riders that they have, have ridden for tens of thousands of miles, but it still does you good to have another set of eyes on you to say, hey, did you know that when you get tired, your left hip kind of tends to go off and, mm-hmm. and you're not riding quite straight anymore? Um, right. And, and very, uh, very helpful. And something like that, again, anything that is going to make your horse travel with more concussion is going to eventually accumulate with inflammation in the joints, and that is eventually going to show up as arthritic changes. And arthritis is a very, very cumulative thing. Uh, What happens is that anything that is causing concussion and inflammation in the joints is going to start to break down the synovial fluid, the, the, the joint fluid inside the, uh, the joint capsules. And just the very nature of what endurance is, you know, even if you're traveling in the most perfect frame that you can, we're doing that traveling for hours and hours and hours. So there's mm-hmm. always going to be some inflammation that, you just you can't help it. That's just the nature of what we do. So, one of the things that you want to do is see what. Uh, try not to be adding more inflammation to that synovial fluid. One of the other things that you do is also make sure that you're really paying attention to the shoeing. Uh, you and I have both over the years gone and we've seen some shoeing jobs at rides where you just kind of oh, holy cow, you know, low heel, long toe, uneven, uh-huh. uh, one foot is wrong or the other. We've seen shoes that should have been replaced three weeks ago, uh, you know, all kinds of just crazy, crazy things. But the, uh, and, and you've been involved in this for, for decades, uh, you know, there, there's so much research and development in newer ways of protecting the foot. Mm-hmm. So that you're using the inherent qualities of the natural uh, equine hoof and you're doing things to protect that foot and help dampen down some of that concussion. And, and again, that's all going to, that concussion affects not only the, the foot, but it's going to travel up the leg as well. And so that's mm-hmm. going to be a you know, the coffin bone, the fetlock, the knees to even to some extent. But you can even have a horse that if their feet hurt, they're going to be changing their entire body and the way they travel. So you may have arthritis that is developing in a stifle, in hocks, even up along the, the vertebrae, only because their shoeing was not optimum for that particular horse. Mm-hmm. So... Again, this whole idea about minimizing arthritis, it's, it's, it's sort of the opposite of death by a thousand cuts. It's these tons and tons of these tiny, tiny little details that have to be micromanaged. Uh, now, a lot of people also, uh, they, they want to 
uh, I don't know, add like, you know, different supplements to, to their horses, uh, to their, their program, their feeding program. And, and that's fine. And one that I've always liked adding is uh, adding a, a source of omega-3 fatty acids. Either you can do that in stabilized flaxseed. Um, marine oils actually uh, are a really great source of omega-3s. They can be a little bit more of a challenge to, to sometimes get into. Uh, For to some horses. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some horses are, are okay, sometimes not. There are some pretty good products now um, that, uh, uh, that, that do a pretty decent job of trying to cover up the flavor of the, the marine oils. But the, the marine oils are, have higher bioavailability than do plant sources. So if you were able to get, you know, maybe a combination of the two, then that's going to do a couple of things. First of all, we know that the omega-3s uh, and, and some specific um, omega uh, fatty acids do show up and can be measured inside the joint fluid. But also, you know, everybody knows that if you have a horse that is getting those omega-3s, you can tell them they have the, just this almost metallic shine to their coat. It's great for their skin and coat. But oh, I have to tell you a funny story real quick. Years ago, I was riding with a junior and she asked me, why is Weaver's coat so shiny? And I said, because I feed him oil. So she showed up to ride one day and she had slicked her horse down with oil all over his body. Oh, Lord. She yeah, thought I, I, I put it on him, not in him. How many times did she her saddle slide and she fell off? That's my question. <laughs> I, I believe it. You know, actually, it was the, cute. The, she was like ten years old at the time. <laughs> well, it sounded great. It sounded like a great idea. You know, That's I actually funny. I saw a a, a dog uh, in uh, my my regular my paycheck comes from working as a, an emergency uh, veterinarian and uh, uh, and, uh, and and doing a lot of surgery. And I, I saw a dog come in uh, that it had a, a chronic skin problem. And, and don't ask me why that uh, this had been going on for some weeks, but the, the owners decided now all of a sudden today at 2 a.m. was the time to bring it in. And I put my hands on this dog and I was kind of like, what is this on the dog? And they said, well, he seemed like he had really dry skin. So they've been putting, uh, they've been washing him in apple cider vinegar and then uh-huh. they've been extra virgin olive oil on him. So I had a craving for salad for the rest of the night with this dog. It was like, okay, we're, we're going to have to talk about what to do here. But, but excuse me, I'm going to go order something from DoorDash right now. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things that we can uh, can do is that, you know, we can add, um, add omega-3 fatty acids. And, and that's going to make that the skin and the coat look really nice and shiny and healthy. But what is hoof tissue? That's also a modified, uh, the, the same keratin protein that hair is made out of. So if you're getting, uh, so you know, some benefits from the omega-3, you're also going to have a, a hoof wall that is a little bit more elastic, has a little bit more tensile strength. So it's more likely to hold nails if you are, um, you know, using a nail on shoe. <clears throat> and it's also, it's going to expand and contract a little bit better with every footfall. And that's good. Mm-hmm. So that is, is one of the supplements that I really like uh, for a horse to have through their, pretty much their entire life. Um, I've also, I've always been a fan of adding some biotin uh, to the, uh, to the, the diet. Uh, we know that that in, in not every horse, but a lot of horses, uh, we will start to see some improvements in the integrity of the hoof wall. So I like having that. Um, I, I personally just add biotin, but there are, um, you know, I, I hear some good recommendations for some of the the other, you know, like uh, farrier you know, supplement kind of sort of things like uh, like that. <clears throat> and so I, I like having them on a, a, a decent hoof supplement. One of the other things that people like to do is they want to start adding in some kind of a joint supplement. 
And it is definitely easier to um, to add something to their mash than it is to inject something. And the the thing with the the supplements, um, and these are going to be the things like the chondroitin sulfates and the glucose aminoglycan uh, products, that you can look at two different products and look at the ingredient statement, and both of them will say that one dose uh, delivers, I don't know, say 1,500 milligrams of chondroitin sulfate. And one of those is a much more expensive product, and the other one is maybe not as well-known a product, but you're looking at the ingredients to say, well, this one delivers exactly the same milligrams. It must be exactly the same way. Uh, it must be exactly the same thing, and it's just as good for a lot less money. And that's where it starts getting a little bit difficult because that's not necessarily true. The, you can have the, uh, the molecules of the chondroitin sulfate, and those are measured in a particular unit called Dalton's. And it will tell you how large that molecule is. So you can have one molecule that is much, much larger, much higher Dalton's, and that still counts as chondroitin sulfate or glucosamine. You can have another molecule that is much, much, much smaller and at the same time, as it turns out, is much more expensive to manufacture, therefore is going to have a much higher price tag. But both of those are still, those still count as glucosamine or chondroitin sulfate. What the difference is, is that that really large molecule, the one that was developed less expensively, is going to be much, much less bioavailable for that horse to be able to absorb into the system because the molecule is larger. It's the small molecule that is more bioavailable and is more likely to be absorbed into the system and then get to the target tissue, which is going to be inflamed joints. Otherwise, a large molecule, basically, you're just contributing to a really expensive poop pile. Right, right. Is there any way to tell on the product well, packaging? <clears throat> there, There's more, um, probably, I think there's uh, more products out there now that actually have the research behind them, but it does take more than just showing up the feed store and saying, okay, well, I've heard of that name, so I'm going to pick up that one. Uh, the And I hope I'm not getting into to trouble by actually naming a, a particular product, but the pretty much the, the original company that did do the research and does have the data to prove their, their claims uh, is Cosequin. That's what I give my old dogs. Exactly. Yeah. And and me too. And the same uh, the, the same qualifiers apply to dogs and cats and things like that as it does to to horses. We just give it in a different form to the the horses, but the same thing still applies. Um, now there are probably more companies that have actually done the research and have the clinical data that they can prove their uh, their claims. And I haven't done any kind of an exhaustive look into it, but usually anything from Kentucky Equine Research, they don't tend to put out things unless they can, you know, they've done the research and they've backed it up. So I tend to really trust their products. I've always trusted Cosequin. But just because of the nature of the GI tract, any sort of an oral supplement like the Cosequin, is still going to have a very, very low bioavailability, usually in the neighborhood of around 3 to 4%, which is why you have to feed so much of it for some of it mm -hmm. to actually get into the system. You have to feed like, you know, 10 grams of that, uh, that stuff every day. It doesn't stay in the system for particularly long, and so you have to be consistent with it. And it's expensive especially if you're buying the quality product. It is not going to be inexpensive, mm -hmm. but you're better off buying the more expensive product and actually getting some bang for your buck 
than you are buying expensive product and getting absolutely nothing. But usually what I recommend to people is uh, try and arrange with your veterinarian and learn the skills. I I don't think necessarily everybody um, should or, or can, you know, depending on what their comfort level is with a needle, to do injectables and do IV injections. But doing an an intramuscular injection is not that tough. And most veterinarians, you know, they'll, they'll show you how to do it and they'll work with you on getting some of the injectable drugs. Um, And I mean, they are drugs, but they are also legal to be used during competition at an AERC uh, ride. You cannot use a needle to inject anything once competition is started. And that's when your horse is gone for his initial vet check, that horse is considered in competition. He cannot do, be injected with anything or he's going to be pulled because that counts as treatment until he's gotten his final vet check. But you can prep these horses a little bit for a ride weekend by having some of these injectables on board. Now, this is an off-label use of the uh, medications like, say, Adequan, Pentasan. Um, Pentasan, there is now a, um, oh, let me, let me see. I've got it written here someplace. There is a, um, uh, a product that it used to be Pentasan, and uh, it's now been FDA approved. It's called Zycosan. And it is uh, distributed by uh, Decra. And I haven't tried it myself, but I know some, some other veterinarians that they, they seem to be using it and liking it. And mm-hmm. Pentosan was, uh, was the subject of some very good research some years ago by a Dr. Wayne McElwraith, uh, who's an orthopedic surgeon at uh, Colorado State University, where I did my vet degree. And he felt that the Pentosan was as good, in some ways possibly even better, than Adequan. So we know that there's some injectable products that are out there. You know, what I like to do, pretty much everybody, the, the manufacturers will say that uh, you're supposed to give, say in the case of Adequan, you're supposed to give uh, one full injection, intramuscular, every three to four days for a total of seven injections. And however, we know that you can measurably detect adequan in the joint fluid within about 24 to 48 hours. And the way that they determined that doing the full seven vial protocol was what they recommend was that in their research horses, they were measuring the range of motion in fetlock joints in horses that had the, the, uh, the injections every three to four days. And they continued to get some improvement. But there are, and this is my opinion, and that makes it anecdotal, this is, is not statistical data, <clears throat> but I've always felt very strongly that we know that you can measure Adequan or any of these other uh, injectable joint supports within 24 to 48 hours. And even though they're not going to be in the blood circulation, they will still continue to exert an influence on the joint for at least maybe 72 hours. And some veterinary pharmacologists feel that the influence goes much beyond just 72 hours or so, up to about three weeks. If that is the case, then I think that horses that are going to be doing an endurance ride where they're unavoidably going to be accumulating all of this concussion simply because of the repetitive nature of of what we do, we're going to be helping out that horse by having some of this Adequan or these other uh, joint inflammation, uh, uh, joint uh, supplements on board during the ride itself. Uh, and again, this is legal. It is absolutely not going to change their performance in any way. All we're doing is providing some preventative medicine. 
which is kind of puts it into the same category as, you know, say something like giving them the omeprazole uh, to help against gastric ulcers when they're they're traveling, uh, or even just vaccines, things like that. It's all just preventative care. It's just using it in a different way. This is definitely off-label, and the manufacturers kind of say, no, 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 we don't have any data whatsoever. We only recommend doing it, you know, the every three days for, for seven vials. But this is what I've been doing with my horse, John Henry, pretty much ever since I got him. You know, he was 10 years old when I got him. He's now 23. He will be 24 in April. But uh, I tend to take x-rays of, you know, his fetlocks and hocks and things like that every year or two. And I can still put up those x-rays. And he's got the x-rays of a two-year-old. He has Mm -hmm. an amazingly small amount of arthritis for a horse that he is not a small horse. He's carried you know, significant amount of, of weight, both his and mine, over the years. And he has five Tevis buckle uh, completions, which is pretty good mm-hmm. when you've got a horse that probably sure. looks like, you know, he should be on a rent string on a beach in Mexico someplace rather than, you know, at, at a ride like Tevis. Um, but I, I feel really strongly that this is something to be considered. And again, this is absolutely just opinion. It's anecdotal. I have no data whatsoever uh, to back this up. But this just kind of strikes me as, okay, if it does this, then it will help with this. Right, right. You're preventing it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Right, right. So that's, okay, you know, so just many things. Uh-huh. Let's just kind of finish up with one more question is, sure. if somebody does have a horse, say they get one later that's older and it already does have arthritis, what would your suggestions be for trying to maintain that horse and keep them comfortable? Well, pretty much the same thing. It's just understanding at this point, you're now kind of doing a salvage reclamation project uh, rather than prevention. But anything you can do, again, to just minimize uh, stress and concussion on that, that horse on all of those those limbs where he's most likely to be developing arthritis, then you are at least going to slow down the progression of arthritis. Um, you know, unfortunately, we, we can't be giving these horses any kind of inflammatories during the ride itself. You know, not even the ones that are like, you know, herbal uh, sort of things like cat's claw and, and uh, right, you know, right. de- those different things like that. All we can do is just continue to try and do everything we can to keep that horse in a balanced frame. Um, and and one of the other things is, it, it sounds crazy, but even more so in the, the older horses, because older horses, their teeth get harder as they get older. If that horse has not had good dental care, very often they're going to be changing the way that they hold their head and their frame because of pain in their mouth. So it seems like a really, really strange thing is, wait, what? how can you know doing good, good dental care on my horse help prevent arthritis? But that's exactly what it does. We're trying to keep these horses moving in a straight, balanced, and relaxed frame. And that's going to be just the accumulation of just dozens and dozens and dozens of these tiny little details. So in, in the older horses, again, it's going to be making sure that you have an educated rider that's riding very thoughtfully. Uh, get off more often, especially on downhills. Uh, make sure that his shoeing is right. Make sure his tack is right. Uh, make sure that he's balanced. He's working in that good frame and have another pair of eyes looking at that rider on a regular basis to make sure that you're not getting lazy and dumping off to the side so that that horse has got to you know, carry his own weight and yours, but you're out of balance. And so he has to work harder. Does that yeah, make well, sense? Let's, yeah, that's a perfect answer. And we appreciate all of your time that you spent with us this morning. And I want to wish you really good luck with John Henry at Tevis this year. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And good luck with your new young crew. And uh, Glenn, Glenn, it was uh, great talking to you again. Next time, you know, try and let the the rest of us get a word in edgewise, won't you? (laughs) Karen is the one that deals with health issues. I'm a horse husband, so my wife deals with all of that. Got it. So you carry the credit cards. That's what I do. She deals with the horse issue, the health issues, and, and I show up. 
And yep, just, I have I have a, a husband like that as well. I do the fun part. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you, Doc. Thank you so much. It was great talking to both of you. Well, that was fascinating, and I hope uh, you know you didn't have to be an endurance rider to get a lot out of that. It applies to any horse. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, trail riding or, or up to eventing or show job. It doesn't matter. So I hope everybody got a little bit out of that. If people do want to take a look at doing their first endurance ride or their, 20, their 50th, uh, where do they go to find them all? Um, go to the AERC.org website and you can check the online ride calendar. Also, we have the AARC convention coming up, which you heard us mention earlier. And that is going... Um, that is going to be in Albuquerque, New oh, Mexico. Okay. Are you going? And it's the 23rd and 24th. No, I'm not going to go this year. You decided to stay snowed in at, uh, at your house? Yeah, I know. Well, I've, now I've got these three horses to work. <laughs> and right. uh, Yeah, they're a lot of work. <laughs> but it's all fun. I'm enjoying it. and I'm having a good time. Well, if you want to hear past episodes of The Endurance Show, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com, click on the Endurance banner in the middle of the page, and it'll take you to all the past episodes, all 10 years worth, ten times, probably 120 if it's 10 times 12. So uh-huh. uh, yeah, there's a lot of episodes to get caught up on. And uh, we'll be back here tomorrow. Jamie and I will be back with our normal Wednesday episode if you want to join us then. Karen, where can people find out more about you? Um. NVEnduranceRider.com. NVEnduranceRider.com. Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you all again next month for the next endurance episode, the second Tuesday of every month.